This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. Brian is once again not able to join me, but that's okay because I've got a gem of a guest for you. I was joined by Joe Yurden, beat writer for the Buffalo Sabres to continue our 31 beat series. It was a really fun interview. I know you're going to like it. Before we go to that interview, of course, let me mention that we at Keeping Carlson are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website out there. The most recent post I'm seeing when I'm recording this is a top 100 Roto rankings written by Ian Gooding. Very interesting to see Connor McDavid, not number one or number two, if you want to see who they are, (laughs) just check out that site. Also, I use all the tools at Frozen Tools to prep these shows. So once again, DauberHockey.com, it's the best. But hey, hopefully you consider this series of beat writer interviews that we've been doing among the best things going on in hockey right now. I mean, I guess there isn't that much competition. Uh, if you do like what we've been doing, we'd of course love to hear from you. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. If you don't like it also, give us some feedback. But if you do like it, along with the feedback, we'd of course love a review over on iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts. That's a great way to help support the show by helping us get the word out. Uh, but with that, how about let me delay no longer... And here is my interview with Joe Yurden about the Buffalo Sabres. Okay, everybody, really excited to bring you this next interview. We've got a treat because I'm joined currently by Joe Yurden. He's the beat writer for The Athletic for the Buffalo Sabres. Formerly, he wrote for NHL.com. And his Twitter bio says that he's a noted jerk. Joe, welcome to the show. It's, uh, it's great to be on. It's, uh, it's a real treat to talk with you. Yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. I've got a lot of questions about the Sabres that I want to get to. Mostly, I want to talk about Jeff Skinner. I'm going to keep myself from not just talking about Jeff Skinner the whole time, but he's been the biggest like mystery for us this whole season. But first, <laughs> I got to ask you, apparently, uh, my co-host Brian mentioned that he's seen this noted jerk thing in your Twitter bio <laughs> like forever. Like, what, Is there a story behind that? Uh, well, yeah, there is. Um, and it's, it's like my own uh, running inside joke, basically. Um, Back back in the day when I was with NBC, and uh, one of the stories that I always ended up seeming to write about when I was like on on duty for my shift was was about the ever swirling, turning, churning Coyotes ownership saga uh, back in 2011, 2012, basically. So anytime I wrote a story where it was just like this isn't looking very good, this team might be moving to 
might be moving back to Winnipeg or going somewhere, you know, just, just getting out of town in general. Coyotes fans would pop up on Twitter to just start, you know, ripping me a new one saying that, you know, the, the stories I was citing, you know, the reporter was bad, you know, the, there's no way the team's going to move this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, all right, okay, great. Like, well, that's, I mean, that might be the case, but also we might not have a team in Arizona <laughs> much longer. And um, I took it upon myself. It was like March, 2011. And I was like, well, I got to see what this is like in case this team goes away. I got to, I got to get the full experience. So we went out. And ended up like interviewing Paul Bissonette, who had his his dad happen to be visiting then. So I had like this great interview with those guys. I interviewed Shane Doan, went to a couple of games. The crowd turnout was horrible. You know, the announced attendance was way above board of what of what was you know of who was actually there. But it was it was a great atmosphere. It was, it was it was actually a genuinely great atmosphere, great setting, and I loved everything about seeing a hockey game when it was like eighty five degrees out in March and in Arizona and the whole setup they have there is awesome. And so people started accusing me of just being like this anti coyotes. I, you know, I want all teams to go back to Canada guy. And I was like, guys, I'm from upstate New York. I don't give a crap if teams go back to Canada or if they stay in Arizona. I don't, I honestly could give two craps. So somebody created a, like a, their own like Photoshop poster of the noted jerks of media. And it was myself, Greg Wyshynski and, uh, Tony Gallagher from the province in, in Vancouver. Because uh, we were like the three people who happened to be writing about it most. And, you know, me and Greg were, you know, we're, you know, Greg's at Yahoo, I was at NBC. And, you know, Tony was just, Tony might have been very much rattling the saber just to get him back to Winnipeg. But somebody sent it to Greg, you know, sent the poster to Greg and be like, hey, look at this. And Greg very quickly was like, no, 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 there's only one noted jerk around here and it's, and it's Yerden. And I go, <laughs> oh man. Because it started out as like a thing where, Somebody started yelling at me. I was like, yeah, look at me. I'm some kind of jerk over here. And somebody said, oh, yeah, yeah, total noted jerk. I go, yep, that's me. Totally me. I'm, yep, totally just want to get the team out of town. And so it just kind of took off from there. And fast forward to now, it's like an ancient joke. I'm very much not a jerk person in any way. So people see that and they're like, how is that possible? You seem like the nicest guy. And I go, yep, there's the joke. You got it right there. So I, I keep it on there as a reminder of where I've been. And also, like, it's just really funny to me because that was, it seems so long ago. And the way the stories ended up happening, counties were really close two years in a row to just being moved out of town. If their goofball, weirdo cartoon city council in Glendale decided to vote against spending money to keep the team there, they were history. They were going back to Winnipeg. And two years in a row, it didn't happen. One year it was Winnipeg, one year it was Seattle. And they were saved both times. Now they're still there. So good for them. I'm glad, glad they still have a team there. Although, you know, the rumors will never go away. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe once they finally get back into the playoffs, maybe the rumors could stop or we'll see. And this will be a fun challenge for this episode for you not to be a jerk at all. As we talk about the Buffalo Sabres, another team that hasn't been in the playoffs for a while. Yeah, I'd love to get started, but just like talk about this team in general. Uh, back when we started the Keeping Carlson podcast, the Sabres were like the worst team in the league. Like, it wasn't even close. I remember like these seasons, 2013-14 and 2014-15, these are the years when like their leading scorers were guys like Cody Hodgson and, and Tyler Ennis, and neither of them even cracked 50 points. And I remember the Sabres were like breaking charts for advanced stats, like Corsi, where they were in like a stratosphere below the rest of the league. But then like it looked like things were about to turn around, right? In 2015-16, they get Jack Eichel in the draft before that season. 
season. They traded for Ryan O'Reilly. Sam Reinhart had a solid rookie year that year. Rasmus Stalinen was emerging as a fantastic offensive defenseman. They got Evander Kane. So like it looked like this team, okay, all of a sudden the Sabres rebuild is working and this could be a strong team in a year or two. And then they took a big step back the following year in 1617, another big step back in 1718 when they only had 62 points, which of course netted them the first overall pick. They got Rasmus Dahlin. And their first two seasons of the Dahlin era have been strikingly similar because they've started strong both times and then fizzled at the end. So this season, the Sabres started. 9-2-2 two two at the end of October. Then they had a huge losing streak. And then fast forward to when the season paused and the Sabres had tied with Jersey for third last in the East ahead of only Ottawa and Detroit. So yeah, before we get into specific players, try not to be a jerk here, but I'm curious, like, what's going on with the Sabres team? Why isn't this rebuild working? And is there any reason why they seem stuck in this particular pattern of starting strong and then fizzling out? Well, this is, it's great that you started with 13-14 because that was my first year in Buffalo. Uh, covering the team for NHL.com. And uh, it's, it's I basically from the second I showed up, things have been freaking awful uh, here. And it's it's been amazing for a franchise that, you know, they had a head coach and a GM for like 17 straight years, which is unheard of in the NHL, to just tear through, what, two GMs? Well, they fi- since I've been here, they've fired two GMs and five coaches? Four oh, no. coach, five coaches, <laughs> something like that. Like it's just been stupid, and it's incredible to watch how the way things have transpired. Because it, and I think it's all be just because it's all done out of desperation of trying to get back to the postseason. Like, it, it's totally what it is, and I think the pressure is even harder now. You know, before when you know the Bills were, you know, the Buffalo Bills were just like missing the playoffs every year for seventeen years. It was just kind of like, well, we can get the Sabers figured out. Hockey turnarounds happen quick in hockey and it should be pretty easy. NFL, eh, it's a little harder. Well, not quite the case. You know, now the Bills are really good and all the attention is on the Sabres for 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 being bad. And it's crazy how the the pressure is different now because you know, 13, 14, 14, 15 you can just be like these these teams are terrible. And at the time you can put it back on Darcy Regeer because when he traded Jason Bombenville Back in 2012, 11, 12, you know, he made it clear. He's like, you know, this is the start of a rebuild. You know, there's going to be some suffering. That was, that was the famous quote. And little did we know that that was going to stretch for almost 10 years now. And 10 years and two GMs later and, you know, set, you know five, six coaches later, it's, it's still going. And it's, it's to the point now where you try to point fingers at, you know, who's to blame. Is it, you know, is it Regeer for, for this? Is it, uh, is it on ownership for, you know, for whatever happened with Pat LaFontaine? Is it on Tim Murray for, you know, trying to step on the gas on the rebuild and, you know, trading out picks and, and just you know, accumulating guys where it was, you know, not exactly the right chemistry mix. Is it on, is it on Jason Bottrell for completely not really getting it together in his last three, four years now? And it, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's just like everybody's got, everybody can make a really solid point as to what's wrong. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> you know, everybody's made mistakes and that, the mistakes keep compounding themselves. You know, the, the, the Sabres at the end of Regeer's run drafted horrendously and they've gotten nothing out of that. Uh, Tim Murray traded away a ton of draft picks. True. He acquired a lot of great players. Also true. None of them are here still. That's also true. So, you know, in Bottrell's case now, it's, you know, a lot of the moves that he's made or he hasn't made 
are starting to come notice because they they're they're a they're a cap strapped team. They they've spent over the cap this season and they're bad. Well, how does that happen? Like, how do you spend all this money on a team that gets that gets you fourth worst in the Eastern Conference? Like, what are you doing? Like, it it's it's so many things, and all of the answers are just basically like, take your pick. This is why it's bad, and you, you can't be wrong. Like, the only way you can be wrong is if you pick out the wrong people and say that they're doing good, which is what is basically what happens with every argument about Rasmus Ristolainen or, you know, why you think Jack Eichel's bad or why, you know, or whatever's going on with Jeff Skinner. Like there's, there's a thousand things where you can make a really bad argument and you know, all you have to do is go on Twitter for five seconds and find somebody to do it. Yeah. But like, you know, you say like, you know, they've made all these mistakes in terms of the team construction, but like they were looking good this year. That's the thing that baffles me the most. Like they came out so strong. Olafson was another, you know, nice name that came out and was having this great rookie season and Eichel was on fire. Was it just like the injuries? Maybe like, I know Olafson got injured at some point. Linus Allmark got injured when he was finally on a good run. Like, do you think that this year could have been good and they just had some bad luck? Or do you think it really is like the team isn't constructed well yet and they still need some more pieces? Well, I think what happened early on was that the first month, uh, the power play really carried them. I mean, they were they were scoring at like a forty percent clip. And the the thing is, is like when they do well, the the players aren't fooled, the coaches aren't fooled. You know, last season they had the ten game win streak. You know, they were riding high going you know into November, and it was just like, hey, you know, they were ninety eight percent to make the postseason at one point <laughs> last season. Oh my god! And then the players were just they weren't getting high on themselves about winning 10 in a row. They were basically like, Hey, we got to bank points now because we know it's going to get harder later. Well, the problem was, is, you know, they didn't bank enough points for long enough to be able to stay in it by, by the time mid January rolled around, they were out of it and they never, they never rebounded from it and just things just cratered from there. And this season it's, you know, that the, the big start, I mean, a lot of that was Carter Hutton. Carter Hutton was incredibly good. I mean, he was six, six and oh, he had like a save percentage that was like 958. And it was just like, wow, okay, he's killing it. That's awesome. And the power play scoring at 40%, so just scoring tons of goals. They look exciting. You're like, all right, this is going to continue. Well, you can you can find out what a team's doing in the power play pretty quick by watching tape. And teams figured it out pretty quick. And the power play cooled off. Uh, the goaltending cooled off because that's inevitably, inevitably going to happen. It's just that for in Hutton's case, it cooled off to the point where he was – you know, at a, like an 850 range, save percentage wise, and that's not going to keep you in the game ever. Yeah. And you know, it, it, once they were able to address those issues, then injuries started happening. And it's you know, it's Jeff Skinner getting hurt. It's you know, Jack Eichel for a while was was definitely dealing with a core injury of some kind. Uh, Olafson gets hurt and he misses a bunch of time. And, you know, it, it's these things, it's, it's not having enough depth at the right positions, it's not having enough scores, period. And that's really where it boils down to. The offense just, just stopped working. And when you boil it down and you have basically a one-line team because of injuries, one-line team is not going to last very long and they're not going to score a lot of goals, no matter who they have. Yeah, especially and especially if they don't get the goaltending to like make up for the fact. Yeah. So you mentioned that Eichel had this core injury. I, I don't think I, I knew about this. Like he is a really interesting guy this season. I did an episode uh, a couple of months ago now with Ben Burnett. We like we were looking at 
the splits of like players who changed a lot between the first half of the season and the second half of the season. And Eichel like jumped out because he started on fire. Like even going past the uh, the first half, like he had 77 points through his first 60 game. That's like a 105 point pace. Unbelievable. And then kind of like out of nowhere, he disappeared at the end and had a seven game pointless streak and then scored a goal in his final game. So like overall, he has his best season of his career offensively. He had 78 points in 68 games. It's a 94-point pace. But it is kind of concerning that he just goes completely cold. Though if you're going to you know, explain it with a core injury, then it almost is like, you know, makes me feel better and say, okay, Eichel's great. He was just suffering from some injury that wasn't being reported fully. Yeah, well, it was, it was kind of shrouded with mystery because the team wasn't willing to admit it. And I think part of that is because Jack didn't want to have it as an excuse. You know, Jack's two of his first three seasons, he had ankle, pro- you know, he had the, the horrible um, high ankle sprain is, you know, before the second mm-hmm. season started. And that was, you know, a, an ominous injury to have the day before the season opener against Montreal. And he goes down in practice, you know, at the very end of a practice, mind you, and he missed 22 games and, you know, Evander Kane had missed a, a handful of games in that spot. And, that got him out to a bad stretch. And then the next season, he has another high ankle sprain in a game against Boston, no less. And it wasn't as severe as the first one, but he still missed games. And he's a guy who's got such tremendous amount of pride. He doesn't want, he doesn't want injuries as an excuse. No player does. But it was very clear something was wrong because he wasn't even taking faceoffs. And on a team that's had basically two guys that could win faceoffs, it was him and Johan Larson. When you've got Sam Reinhardt sliding over and taking your draws on your line, there's a reason why Sam wasn't playing center anymore in the NHL. And part of that was because he couldn't win draws. And, you know, it, it's, it's telltale things where it's very basic, where you can figure out that there's something wrong, something's bothering him. And he, was, he wasn't able to take draws for a few games. But, you know, once, once you figure out, like, oh, okay, well, something happened there. I mean, I believe it was, no, I don't believe it was my B partner, John Vogel, who, who found out that it was it was something in this in the midsection and the team was very not anxious to admit that and i mean because to me that underlies that underlined a, a serious problem where they didn't have a number 2 center they're forcing marcus johansson to, to play center when he hadn't played there in 7 years <laughs> since he was in washington and even in washington they knew he wasn't a center anymore i mean the the first time they played the capitals this year nicholas backstrom said i can't you know kiddingly but not kidding says oh yeah i can't wait to take some draws against uh, against marcus uh, i hope he's still not good the way you know, hope he's still not good at him and i was just like well there you go well okay and it just highlights problems that that were known i mean it was known that they needed somebody to help out on the second line it was known that they needed that because casey middlestat was struggling because he was getting thrown into the nhl as a number two center because they traded away ryan o'reilly so it's any cushion that you could have given a kid who is new, they just didn't have it anymore because they just got rid of, you know, I mean, O'Reilly's a great player, but, you know, whatever happened there, okay, fine. But get somebody else to help. And I think Patrick Berglund was supposed to be that guy in the O'Reilly trade, but they didn't know that Berglund didn't want to be traded and he was just sick of it. So it, it's like having Murphy's Law just dictate how everything goes to the team. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And that's how it's basically gone. Damn. Okay. So I guess that, yeah, they've had some bad luck though. I mean, let's be real here. Trading Ryan O'Reilly for Patrick Berglund and thinking that's going to work out. Uh, I know there was obviously other reasons there. Yeah. Berglund, Saboka, Tage Thompson. That, that's, that's your return. 
It's tough. And then O'Reilly goes on to win the cup the next season. Con Smythe too. Don't, don't forget that. He's the Con Smythe. <laughs> right. Yes, of course. Yeah. I, but we knew he was good. Like he was, right. I started my whole spiel here by saying that I was looking up on the Sabres once they got Eichel and O'Reilly. It seemed like, wow, this team is really going to go somewhere now. Uh, but okay, as far as just to close the book on Eichel, does that mean we can believe that what he was doing up until the end of this season was for real? Like assuming he comes back next season fully healthy, do you think we're looking at someone who could potentially break 100 points if he could actually get through a full season without getting injured? Oh, 100%. 100%. He, w- he would have done it this season without a doubt. You know, non-pandemic, non-core injury season, he 100% could have done it. He still could have done it even, even you know, uh, even if we did have a full season, I think that I think that it was certainly possible. I mean, they, they were on a horrible run before things got shut down and you know, the schedule was going to be pretty hard for him towards, towards the end of the year, but he's, he was so good this year. I mean, it, I started, it, there was a point in the year where I was doing interviews, you know, radio interviews and people were asking about him. And I said, I said, listen, if the Sabres are in a spot where they're even sniffing at a chance, the playoffs, you got to consider putting them on your heart ballot because they don't do it without them. And, you know, yeah, adding all, you know, Olsen breaking out this year was great. Reinhardt being steady as always is awesome. But like, he's the guy that made it go. I mean, everybody else at some point was having some sort of struggle, but Eichel was the guy driving the bus with it without a doubt. And if they got into a spot or if they got into the playoffs or you know, just, uh, just fell short, you would be justified putting them on your ballot. If they just fell, if they fell short, you could put them fifth and say, Hey, whatever. They wouldn't even get that close without him. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I'm thinking like in terms of fantasy hockey, like uh, if Eichel gets injured, all of a sudden Sam Reinhardt and like Olafson become like, maybe you start thinking, maybe I don't even need these guys on my team because you don't expect much. Like, I think we all realize that Eichel is, like you said, like driving the bus here. Though Reinhardt, I do want to ask about him. We've learned now that he can't take face-offs, but he still was a pretty good wingman for Eichel this past season. He had 65 points last year and then had a strong start to this season through 61 games. Reinhardt had 50 points. So that's on a pace for 67 goals. He was on pace for 30 goals. And then, I guess maybe it's easily explained, Eichel goes cold. Reinhardt also goes cold. So he ends the season slow. Is that all we need to explain why Reinhardt slowed down at the end? It was like Eichel has this injury, and obviously now Reinhardt's not going to be able to make the offense happen without Eichel at 100%. Well, I think it's, it's it's partially that it's also it's also that they they just didn't have any support on the second and third lines to do any scoring, um, and that you know I mean that all comes from not having somebody to distribute the puck on that second line. Maybe there were points in the season where uh, you know guys like Marcus Johansson were not playing center and he was playing on the wing and he looked fantastic, and you start saying like oh. All right, well, let's make that work. Like, let's put him out there and put Skinner at the other wing and see how it goes and just find find anybody. Put Johan Larson between them and see how it works. And, you know, the, the, it, it's a thing where, you know, you, you, you run into injuries or you have, uh, a, you know, a shortage of depth that, you know, te- teams are smart. Coaches are smart. Other teams watch tape. They can figure out if they can just, jam all of their best defenders against the top line and make their life miserable and make it so much harder for them to score, you're going to wear them out, especially if it's a team that's just not winning. And if they rely on that top line to score them all their goals, you can't really win more games than, than you, than you should when it's that way. And, you know, 
it's a matter of reading how they, you know, they want to set things up. I mean, obviously Olafson, you know, he, he's still, you know, it's first year in the NHL. He's still figuring out a lot of things. He scored a ton of the power play, but his five on five game wasn't quite as good scoring wise. Anyways, his five on five game wasn't as strong. You know, Jeff Skinner was, <laughs> I mean, Jeff Skinner went from scoring 40 playing on Eichel's wing to just being like, all right, play with Johan Larson, play with Marcus Johansson, play with these guys and see if you can carry him. And I mean, he still did a lot of the Jeff Skinner things. He just didn't do the main Jeff Skinner thing and scoring goals, but he didn't have a lot of help. There wasn't a lot of help, you know, set up help there. Of course. So, you know, when you can just compound on when there's one, when there's one big issue and you can figure out a way to expose that issue with the other team, NHL coaches and teams are going to figure out a way to do it. So, you know, you shut down if you throw all your top defenders at Jack and, and make that lines night miserable, you get a really good chance of winning the game. And that's what to me, that's what helps highlight how much how how great Eichel was this season was that he was getting it all thrown at him and he was still finding ways. But at some point, and you look at it was the the Western trip at the end where they went to Vegas and they went to Arizona and they they got crushed. They got crushed out, you know, Colorado knocked them around, Vegas knocked them around. And that basically put a bullet in their hopes for the for one last push for the playoffs. And from that point out, the team was deflated. You know, Jack is Jack is pissed that it's going to be another losing season. The whole team is just annoyed that they got to deal with no playoff talk again. And just you know, it's tough to it's tough to really get fired up when your balloon's been popped. And I think that's what that's what happened at the end of the year. I mean, they get that shootout win against Washington before the shutdown, and it was just kind of like, all right rally and finish strong but we'll, we'll never know if if that would have happened because that's just the way it went but uh, it you know when it when it comes to sam though i mean sam's sam's really good and the thing is you want to know if he's good away from jack and i don't know that we're ever going to get that answer yeah it's like i wonder you know if he's good i think of like the edmonton oilers right they have mcdavid and they have dry and then near the end of this season they split up mcdavid and dry because they were able well i guess mcdavid's just so good that he could you know run a line by himself and dry was playing with nugent hopkins and yamamoto and it was going so well and i wonder like if the sabers could ever get this depth that, that clearly they need it would be interesting to see what reinhardt could do you know on a line like anchoring his own line like dry did I, I wonder if we'll ever find out uh I guess we'll have to wait and see if the Sabres uh, sounds seems like what you're saying is the way the team is now, they're just going to have to load up the top line and hope for the best. Yeah. And that's, that's been the way it's, it, it's gone the last few years. I mean, you know, the two years under Phil Housley, that was essentially what it was. It was just Jack, Sam and find somebody else and see if it works. You just that, you know, the, you know, Phil's last season, it just happened to be Skinner. Uh, but those three got rolled out there every time. And it was just like, well, can they play 55 minutes a night? No, they can't. Yeah. You know, can they play three quarters of, you know, three fourths of each period? No, they can't. They can't play 15 minutes period. And you can't do it that way. And, you know, last year it was a significant lack of depth. And this year it's not the right depth. You know, they, they had lines that work. The, the line of uh, Gergensen's Larson and Opozo, fantastic. But they just don't score. You know, they, they keep possession, they, they, they provide energy, they have, they have some ability to score goals, but if you're going out every night thinking, like, this line's going to get us a goal tonight, that you're in for a tough night. Like, that's not going to work. But they had too many problems getting a second and third line figured out behind them, which is crazy to think when you have a guy like Skinner there. You know, yeah, Olsen 
takes that spot on the line, but okay, get Skinner some help. Who's the help? Well, we don't know. You know, they, they trade for Dominic Cahoon. It's a great trade. It's a great ad, but he's not a, like he played center in the German league before, before coming over here. But, but the first question to him when he got added was just like, well, do you think he'll be placed playing center in the NHL? It's like, well, it's already his third season. No, probably not. It's uh, very interesting. And yeah, I definitely want to dig in now to, I guess, Jeff Skinner, his deployment, the line mates he got. Like to me, this was the most baffling thing about the season because like you said, he scored 40 goals last year and then they signed him to a six-year, $9 million per year contract. I assumed when you're paying someone $9 million a year, he's going to be a top line, top power play, you know, big minutes player, especially when he had so much success the previous season. Instead, he was like not only bumped from the top line for Olafson, but then uh, at points like Olafson got injured and then Jimmy VC was on the top line and still not Jeff Skinner. I thought like when Olafson got injured, I remember we were saying on our podcast, okay, everyone go and add Jeff Skinner to your fantasy teams. Now's the time. And then like it didn't, he didn't even get a chance on the top line. It didn't seem like right at the end of the season, he gets a shot. But to make matters worse, I even noticed around December, Skinner got bumped from his spot on the top power play. Marcus Johansson was there on PP1. And Skinner at times was playing in the bottom six. He was on a line with Connor Sherry and Evan Rodriguez for stretches. And like, of course, it goes without saying, like his ice time was down a couple minutes. You know, he was at 18 and a half minutes last season. And then this season, we're looking at around 16 and a half minutes. Uh, so like, I just really want to know what happened here. Like, why did they spend so much money on a player to not be a top liner? Like, was it a miscommunication between the coach, Ralph Kruger, and GM Jason, Jason Botterill? Or like, yeah, I'd love to just hear the explanation for what happened this year. Well, to me, the, the only explanation is that it's a different coach. I mean, Skinner did all that under Housley. And, you know, it was Phil that was, you know, going going hard with deploying him that way. And that's... I mean, it made sense. The line produced. They were that was one of the best lines to leave. When he put them together early in the season, uh, I mean, the first iteration of it was Skinner, Eichel, and Pominville. And that line blew up on the West Coast trip early in the season and they were they were outstanding. Right. I remember and then, that. And then, you know, Pominville gets bumped down the lineup and um, you know, then it's you know, Skinner, Eichel, and Reinhardt because you know the the plan was to try to keep Sam and Jack separated for a little bit just to figure it out. See if you can have that, do it, you know, and get away from that sort of crutch. Um, but, you know, it didn't work out that way. And it just turned out to be even better with with uh, Skinner and Reinhardt with Eichel. So, um, but, I, but I think in Ralph's case, you know, Ralph's, Ralph's done an unbelievable job making this team a more defensively sound team, which sounds nuts considering that they, you know, they weren't winning a ton of games. But... I mean, all the metrics check out for them as far as what they're allowing team, you know, they're not giving up, you know, oodles of shots, you know, shots and shot attempts, you know, the, the shots on goal numbers are down. Anything that they were allowing though, was a pretty high quality opportunity, which means you know, you're missing out on tracking down low, you're not covering guys for rebounds, things like that. But, but this team, you know, honestly, a lot of Sabre games this season were really freaking boring because they were bottling teams up and, you know, the offense wasn't exactly, you know, playing with rocket fuel out there. So, um, but to me with, in Skinner's case, I mean, yeah, you sign a guy who has $72 million contract, you better figure out a way to make it work because you got him for long haul. And, you know, the, the way it's set up this year, I think the idea, you know, before, you know, before they got teams to practice was just kind of like, all right, well, we'll stick with this one line. We know what we got we'll figure out everything else along the way. 
you know, when, when, you know, like when Johansson signed, you're thinking like, Oh, put him on the wing. That's great. And it's like, well, no, actually he's going to play center. He used to do that. Well, he wasn't good at it. Well, we're going to do it. Okay. All right. Well, who's going to, you know, who's going to help support him on that line. And then you're just kind of like, well, you know, Skinner might have a thing there. That's good. Uh, I guess we'll put Connor Sherry there. He's pretty good. And none of that worked out. So it was just, you're, you're playing with, you know, you're playing musical chairs with everybody. And, you know, in Skinner's case, it's, I can't imagine how, and Jeff will never say it. He's too nice of a dude. He's too polite. He's never going to throw anybody in the bus. He's not going to say a nasty word about anything. But I imagine he was probably pulling his hair out, not being on Jack's line after they were so good the year before. And he's getting third line deployment. He's no longer on the top power play. Um, and I think a lot of that was because he wasn't exactly trusted defensively. Um, but I mean, the dude just scores at even strength constantly. Like that's his whole thing. And yeah, his shot, his shot percentage was way down this year. Uh, I think it was at some point it was like well below his, you know, his normal rate probably finished up that way. And, you know, at some point that's going to correct itself. And there were some signs that it might, you know, towards the end of the season, but I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta find ways to, to, to give him some help. And he just didn't have that help all year because he didn't, you know, yeah, you, nobody has more than one Jack Eichel on a team unless you're Pittsburgh <laughs> because you have Sydney and, and Malkin, but, um, but I mean, he didn't really even have like a, anybody to really help him distribute. And, you know, I think, I think the hope is that, you know, maybe middle becomes that guy in the future. Maybe it's going to be Dylan cousins next season. I mean, but I mean, you're putting a lot of hopes on guys who are, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old to just go in and just, just throw them in and say, Hey, we got it. We figured it out. Right. Yeah. So you're saying it sounds like Ralph Kruger is being held in high regard for tightening things up defensively. So we don't have a reason why we should expect Skinner to get back on the top line. And if we want to see him break out offensively again, it's going to need to be with like a Dylan Cousins or a Casey Middlesex. We, we need to wait for more reinforcements to come in before we should expect Skinner to get anywhere close to those 40 goals. Yeah. Yeah, but what what kills me about Skinner is that he's so good at stealing pucks. He's so good at just picking everybody's pocket. Um, but I think it's once you get past him as that first wave four checker, he might be he might not be so eager to be digging in down in the D zone to try to help out. Which honestly, I don't need a guy who scores forty to be hard on the corners and you know be smashing guys on the boards. I don't really need that guy to do that. I need Skinner to be able to be free to be creative with the puck and to be able to just be there to hop on rebounds and, and snap shots by. And that's, that's his game. Him being elusive in the offensive zone is what he's paid to do and expecting him to be a Selkie candidate. That's not what he's paid to do. He's paid to score goals, find right. a way to get him to score a goal. It's finding a guy whose job is very basic and finding a way to get him to do it. That, that's the easy that that should be the easiest thing to do yeah so it'll be so interesting to see how this plays out because like you know like you said he's not going anywhere they're paying him big money so you've got to think they're going to keep trying they didn't try i was pulling my hair out myself this season wondering like you'd think they would be putting this guy in the best opportunity to you know make that contract look good didn't happen this year so i guess we'll see next year but it sounds like from what i'm hearing and from what we saw this year like victor olafson they like him on that top line, right? And and I guess why not? Like he had this great rookie season as a 24-year-old who was drafted by, way back in 2014, which is pretty wild. But he only came over from the SHL last season. He has a great year for the Rochester Americans in the AHL. And then I, I recall like, 
preseason, we saw him getting deployment on the top line and power play with Eichel and Reinhardt. You know, I remember on our podcast, we're like dropping uh, Olafson's name, like a sleeper. Ooh, check out this Olafson guy. Maybe grab him like at the end of your fantasy drafts. But like, we definitely didn't come close to predicting what ended up happening, which was 20 goals, 42 points in 54 games. And like you said, it was like looking even better than that at the start. And then I guess you were saying that teams were sort of figuring out how this power play was working. And that's what, you know, caused him to slow down a little bit. Uh, but still, like going into next season, do you think that Olafson sticks with this plum deployment and maybe, you know, figures out how to do things a little differently so teams know not to just zone in on him? And yeah, I'm just curious to know, like, is this basically, was this rookie season for real? And is this the Victor Olafson we should keep expecting to show up next year? I, I would say absolutely to expect him to, to that, that he is what he is. I mean, this isn't like a, I don't think it's a, a flash and fan thing for him. Uh, you know, he, he got fat on the, the power play goals early. I mean, it's the first eight goals in his career he scored were on the power play, which set a new NHL record. And that goes back to last season when he came up late and he scored twice and they were both in the power play. And then his first six this season, I think it was his first six this season were power play goals. So it was just like, okay, is this guy a one-trick pony or what? And, you know, teams started getting the, the power play scouted out. But his season, the, his NHL season, very closely mimicked his AHL season where, you know, he it was the same deal for him in Rochester where you know, he started scoring a lot of power play goals. Teams were just like, all right, well, just shadow him at the circle so he can't tee it up. And, you know, let's see if he can beat us five on five. Well, he figured it out pretty quick. I mean, you don't, you don't score 30 in the A without being – some kind of good, uh, or, you know, being an A or if you're an AHL lifer, maybe that happens a few times, but in his case, it was just a matter of you know, getting, getting the North American game figured out and going from there. But, um, but this season, you know, like, yeah, they figured out the power play, but he got better five on five and he was able to find ways to get open for shots. And he was able to dig in more. He's a really smart player. He's really heady and he gets it. Like the dude's just, he's a, he's a pro's pro. And, you know, his shot, and it, it sounds crazy, but his shot is like probably one of the five best in the NHL. He, it, it's accurate, it's hard, it's on point, and it just it comes out of nowhere. And like it, it's, it's almost Ovechkin, like where if you see him teed up in the circle and he's got a clear lane to that towards the net, it doesn't matter if the goalie's there, he's going to find a hole to put it by him. And I, I think that's where like that power play can be a strength, put him and Eichel on their offhand wings and have them tee it up in the circle and then find ways to just get the, to get the PKers moving around. Those guys can live fat on the land off of that forever. As long as they're drawing penalties, and, you know, they've got, you know, Eichel and Skinner draw tons of penalties. So, I mean, they, they can, they can get those chances, but, but in Olsen's case, man, he's, he's really good. He's a really good player. And for a guy who was taken in, you know, in the seventh round, it's crazy to find a guy with that sort of value. That it's the sort of like diamond in the rough that the Sabers have been so desperately needing to find out of the draft for ages, and they finally have a guy like that. So it's it's a great development. He's he's awesome. I mean, it's it'll be really interesting to see how the contract negotiation goes with him because he's RFA. But um, but based on one year, he's he's dynamite. He's he's worth keeping. If you have him in a keeper league, keep him. And like, do you expect that he could improve at even strength in the NHL, like he was doing in the AHL last year? Like, I think he just needs to kind of figure some things out. Oh, a hundred percent. Look at his progression in the SHL, where I think it was his first two or three seasons. It was just slowly building, and then his last year uh, in Sweden, he scored. I think it was twenty four or twenty seven 
27 goals or something like that. And it was, and he led the league in, in goal scoring. And it was just like, Whoa, where'd that come from? And it was, you watch some of his goals and you saw the way he scored and you're like, Oh, that'll do it. Okay. Well, let's see if he can do it in the AHL. Then he comes over and he does it in the AHL. And you're like, well, let's see if he does it in the NHL. He did that. So, I mean, he's just a guy who just keeps improving every year. I think, I think, I think he's the, the sort of guy you can, you can kind of bank on that. His shot is such a difference maker that, that it just works that way. Right. So he just needs to get in the right positions and then he'll let the shot do the talking. I, really sorry. I, I just want to go back to Jeff Skinner quickly for one second, <laughs> just to make sure I nail this down. Like, are, are you saying that, like, do you think Skinner played worse this season or was it like just a matter of like his deployment? Like, was he the same player 2019-20 as he was in 2018-19? And just like the new coach just didn't like that player as much as Phil Housley did? Or do you think like Skinner's struggled I, I just wanted to just nail that down and then i promise i'll move on from him for the rest of the show i i think there were some struggles early and that didn't help but like he he wasn't even getting a look on jack's line in preseason or in training camp at all so they had an idea in mind to, to i think the idea was that we're going to have two absolutely knockout scoring lines and jeff skinner's going to be part of a line away from jack because that's just how that's going to work and it was a matter of auditioning who was going to play with jack and sam which is why you had, you know, you know, Olsen got that look at one point. Jimmy Vesey got that look a bunch of times. Um, and it was, just, you know, a comfort factor, position factor, all that comes into play. And instead it was, instead it was just, you know, uh, something where it was just kind of like they got this idea set in mind and they were just like, well, we, we just can't do Jeff with Jack and Sam again because it just feels like we're not going to improve by doing that. And I think there's some truth to that because, you're going with a lot of unknown factors because in that case, you know, think of it in Olson's case, he got moved off that top line for, for a bit and he struggled away from, from those guys, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it's also a thing. It's, it's like a chicken, chicken or egg argument where it's like, well, are these wingers struggling because they're not as good as we think they are? Or are they struggling because they don't have uh, a, a, a setup man to make it work? And, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's the answer is very clearly the second one. Olsen's good. Skinner's great. Find guys to help you. Find guys to, to make the passes, to make the plays. That, that should solve the problem, ideally. Of course, like, I could be proven wrong next season if they go out and find a playmaker and it goes foul anyways. Well, hey, who knows? Like you said, maybe there's someone coming up from their prospect pool. And so, yeah, let's get into Dylan Cousins. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on him. Uh, The Sabres obviously must have liked what they saw from their 2019 seventh overall pick when they saw what he did in the WHL this past season. He had 85 points in 51 games. We crushed it there. He also had nine points in those seven World Junior Championship games, uh, only behind Barrett Hayton and Alexis Lafreniere for the Canadian squad. So he had probably the best season he could have. Uh, do you know, like, what is the plan for developing Dylan Cousins? Like, do you think that he's getting an audition in training camp next year with a chance to crack the Sabres roster? Or do you think they're going to want him to maybe spend a year in the AHL before he goes completely pro? Well, I think, I think he's going to get as much leeway to make the team as possible. And I think the idea is going to be, uh, you know, it's always going to be a competition thing because um, they're going to want to see how uh, Casey Middlestad improved from from playing in the AHL. They want to see if what kind of growth he's made. You know, he'll have that opportunity. Um, anybody they might be able to get in, you know, via trade or free agency, obviously, would be in that mix too. But um, but in Cousins' case, I think the season he had made it so that next season is 
if you got to send him because he can't play in Rochester next year, he doesn't turn 20 until uh, January, I think. Oh, uh, so he has to go back to Lethbridge if he doesn't make the team, which it's a different sort of question you have to ask. Like, does, does sending him back to Lethbridge do any good for his development if he goes back there and scores, you know, 110 points or 120 points or something and just runs roughshod over the dub? And, you know, or is it better for him to, to get sheltered in a role in Buffalo where the minutes are kept down? if you can play him on the wing to just give him a little more freedom uh, in the NHL, as opposed to just cramming him right in its center and saying like, Hey buddy, we need you to win faceoffs as a 19 year old and get it. You know, we need you to play second line minutes as a 19 year old. And Oh, by the way, you're adjusting to playing against NHL level players. And suddenly every, I know everybody in Buffalo is already having preemptive Casey Middlestat flashbacks of like, Oh my God, what if they screwed up with, with cousins too? Then, then what happens? Um, and that's not even to say that Casey screwed up. It's just the expectations are so high when a guy makes the team. And I think in cousin's case, they're, they're very mindful of that. And if there, if there's an upside to all of this pandemic stuff that's going on and for how it affects how next season schedule goes, it's the sort of thing where if the C, you know, if the CHL gets back into action and, and they start playing before and the NHL doesn't have a plan figured out for how to start the next season, then, Hey, cousins can just go to Lethbridge. You can, you know, go and play there. You don't have to worry about things. And then that settles that question. And if, you know, if, when the NHL starts again, you can just call him up and say, Hey, here's your nine games. Let's get a look. Let's see what happens. And then he'll have fresh legs. But, um, but anything that, that kind of delays that question of should he stay or should he go, uh, is, is probably to the Sabres' benefit. But, I mean, I think a full year of training, you know, a full off-season of just, like, working out, getting stronger is going to do world's good for him. And if he comes into camp with a lot more muscle on the on his bones, and he's, I mean, he's a big kid, but he just needs to be stronger and he needs to be bigger, if he comes into camp next year with, you know, with a pretty sizable muscle upgrade, man, I would not put it, past him to automatically just be on the team because I think his skills and his mindset and his temperament, it's just, it's just made to be ready for the NHL. He's like a classic CHL kid where it's just like, no, I'm here to learn how to play pro hockey. Get me to that level and I'll take care of business. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he has all the tools and the Sabres don't have so, so much competition for him to compete with. So it seems like a recipe for him to, to get a really good shot, though. You brought up Casey Middlestad. So I, I am very curious about him. Uh, it's interesting that you're saying people are already wondering if they've ruined him. Like, he's only 21 years old. But yeah, he was their first-round pick back in 2017, eighth overall. And he made the team. Like, And he, he played a full season with the club in 2018-19. He was underwhelming. But then this past season you know, it must be demoralizing for a player to then the following season only play half the season in the NHL and the other half in the AHL. And plus with Rochester, he only had 25 points in 36 games. You would have kind of hoped for someone with his pedigree, at least if he goes to the AHL, he could kind of dominate there. So yeah, like you're saying you still have some hope for middle stat. Like wh- what's the general sense of this guy? Like, do we think he is going to for sure at least be a full-time NHLer, or is that still completely in question? And like, maybe forget about the fact that 
I don't even know if he'll ever live up to like his draft pedigree, but at, at the same time, he's only 21 years old. So what's your current, if you had to make a prediction, like five years from now, is Casey Middlestad in the NHL? And like, how many points is he getting? I'm not giving up on him yet. I think he's, he's got such an, uh, like, he's got an attitude where it's, he's not really, he's not outwardly affected by negative stuff being said or, or people just kind of being down on him. He just loves playing hockey. Loves, you know, it's, he's a guy who loves playing hockey, loves being good at hockey. And he loves just, you know, he's a classic, just Minnesota hockey dude. He just, you know, love being with the boys, got to get out there, play some puck, you know, and just get out there and handle business. And I think for him, it's, you know, there, there's, he was polite about being asked about being sent down, but there's no way he liked that. There's, you know, the NHL's, you know, he spent a full year there that's where he feels like he belongs and, and you know, that's the right attitude to have. But you know, the, the first few weeks after he got sent down, he really struggled in Rochester. I mean, it was, you know, it was defensive setbacks, which, you know, people are already critical of his defensive play as it is, but you know, it was, you know, he just looked like he was a guy who was just kind of dealing with getting bumped down. And I think that's fair when you're young and you have all these high expectations and um, but he started figuring it out after the fact, I mean, he was, he was one of the Amherst top offensive producers. I mean, look up and down the Amherst lineup. I mean, their top scorer was John Sebastian D with 39 points. The fact that Middlestat was able to get 25 points in about half as many games. Right. Not bad. I mean, that's, but I mean, that's the, that's the sort of production he should have. Uh, you want to see more obviously, but I mean, his first six or seven games weren't very good. So, you know, I, I look at it as, uh, he's he's way better than just being an, an an AHL guy. He's an NHL player, but I think it's just a matter of getting it right for where he fits into the lineup and getting it right where you know the deployments are are correct and and how he handles you know, dealing with some of the parts of the game that maybe just aren't as exciting. You know, it's the, it's the deep play. It's like yeah, he wants the puck, he wants the dazzle, he wants to have the highlight goals, but you know the stuff he was pulling off of the World Junior Championships you can't do in the NHL like. Defenders aren't going to allow you to, to, to be a wizard like that. So um, for him, it's just, it, it's, it's a matter of learning those lessons and, and applying it forward and not regressing. And I think that's, that's going to be really key to see how he bounces back from all of this because it's a lot of mental gymnastics to do as well as the playing side. Right. So, okay. Definitely. We need to keep him on our radars and maybe these next couple of years will tell us a lot about what the future is going to hold for Casey Middlestat. Uh, okay, and we've spent all this time talking about all these interesting forward politics on the Sabres and what's going on, but we got to talk about the defense now, and specifically Rasmus Dahlin, the first overall pick a couple of years ago, who's putting together a pretty nice career. His teenage career in the NHL is pretty noteworthy. He had 40 points in 59 games for 56-point pace as a 19-year-old this past season as a sophomore season. Uh, that is puts him in pretty rare territory. And like everyone has been talking about Darlene, like he's going to be the next Carlson. So I'd love to know from what you've seen so far, is he on track for that? Is he looking as good as everyone was saying he was going to be when he was drafted? Cause the numbers are looking good, but you know, the eye test is a different story, I guess. Yeah. The, well, I mean, power play wise, I mean, he's, he's going to be a power play quarterback forever in the league. As far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's, he's so good and his confidence is so high handling the puck there. Um, although it may not seem like it sometimes if a pass or a shot gets, you know, gets blocked and sent back his way and 
he gets pressured. He had some, a little bit of a case of like the yips a little bit with that, where, you know, he's like, no, I got to keep this puck in at, at all costs. Well, pucks bounce sometimes and they get behind you. And if you, if you drop to a knee to try to block a, to try to, to, to keep a puck in the zone, you might run into some trouble there, but, um, but he's so smart about everything in the game and he's so good about how he handles the puck and, and, and he's just, he just teams over with confidence and he's, he's a really harsh self-critic about things. Like if he makes a mistake, he he'll, you know, if it's in practice, he slam his stick, he'll yell at himself and really gets, gets on his own case. And I think that's, I mean, I think we've all been there as, you know, as an 18, 19, 20 year old, if you do something dumb, you just kind of like, you know, smack yourself in the head. You go, quit being stupid. Like, mm-hmm. but I mean, him, it's, it, it, it's at like a different level because he, he knows he's good and he's, you know, but he's not like a cocky kid or anything like that. Like he just, he just does his job and he's, he's really freaking good at it. And you know, it was it, 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 this season. It was a little bit of a struggle to start, and I think part of that was just because the system changes and you know what Ralph wants to do. And you know, it was a part of, of of learning how to adjust to that. But I think once he did, it was everything started to really click in. And you know, the the crazy part is is that after he he had that concussion from from that elbow by Eric Chernak at the end of November, and he missed some time with that. Uh, when he came back, man, he was he was lights out and you know, the, the way that, you know, figuring out how, how to deploy him and like the defense played better this year. Um, the defensive co- uh, crew did, they, I thought, I thought they were a, a much better group this year with still with some, you know, still some hiccups in there, but I mean, um, you know, when it came to dispersing, you know, the dispersing the minutes, it was, you know, you know, Ristol, all the minutes that Ristolainen had, had come down from him, you were going to Darlene. And I think that's, that's a, that was, that's a vital transformation with the defensive crew where you don't need Ristolainen playing 25 minutes a night. You need yeah. Darlene playing, you know, more than 17 a game and, and getting more action in the right scenarios. That's not to say that he was getting pushed into every situation. Like if they're defending a lead late, Darlene's probably not on the ice then, but he did, he's not at that point in his career yet where he's the all around shutdown guy. You could argue that he should get those opportunities where, you know, if he gets the puck, he's going to take, he's going to skate away with it or he's going to do make the right decision with it. But it's, it's not something he needs to do right now. I think that's a mistake they made with Ristolainen early in his career where, you know, he got pushed into the lineup and on a, on horrible teams. And it was like, here, play 25 minutes a night for the 14, 15 Buffalo Sabres. Like, yeah, of course you're going to be a minus 45 and your Corsi numbers are going to be in the toilet. Yeah, you're on the worst team, the worst analytic team in history. So good luck to you. You know, these Sabres aren't, aren't that level bad, but I mean, you still don't want a kid like that just being in these hard situations and, and having to, you know, to deal with more hardships than, than positive things. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's what makes me think, like I was thinking of asking you about like his minutes in his rookie season were higher, right? He was playing around 21 minutes a game in his rookie season, 19 minutes this season. I imagine it's just the new coach had a different idea, but really like, how can that be a thing to be concerned about when he was only 19 years old? If anything, I think it's something to be excited about considering this guy is putting up a 56 point pace as a 19 year old, not even playing 20 minutes a game. Obviously he's going to get those extra minutes as he moves along in his career. 
which means you you know more time on the ice, more chance to score. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at sixty. I mean, that's my opinion. I don't, how yeah. high can I go here? Like Eric Carlson hit like point per game for a couple seasons in Ottawa. Do you think Darlene's getting? I think he is. Like I don't see why not. Well, I think Carlson, like, I think it was Carlson's third season in Ottawa where he really blew up. I think he, didn't he have like a 70 point season or something? Yeah, I think it's 72. I'll bring that up now. Okay. But I mean, you know, how, how old was Carlson that? So he was like 21, maybe? It's a very good point. He gets drafted in 2008. And then, so then he was probably like 18. We're kind of working backwards. So in 2009, 2010 is his first season. He's probably 19 then. 2010, 11, let's say he's 20. His second season, Carlson gets 45 points in 75 games. Then you're right. In his third season, let's say he was 21. That's 77 points in 81 games. So basically a point per game. So that's as a 21-year-old. So that's still two years away for Rasmus <laughs> Stelling. Right. So, I mean... And the, the things that Darlene's been doing point-wise, when it gets compared to other guys, that other defensemen in history who have who have taken that road, I mean, he's gone past Bobby Orr. I mean, we're talking about Bobby freaking Orr. The only mm-hmm. guy that's ahead of him was Phil Housley, and he played in the you know in the middle of the run and gun. You know, everybody scoring every game six to five, seven to six. You know, NHL in the eighties. So, and some of those games, Housley was a defenseman, but he was playing center sometimes because. Why not? I mean, you had a bunch of tough guys playing defense and Phil was, you know, Phil was a free skating, you know, offensive dynamo. So you're just like, yeah, just throw him up front. Let's see how that works. Darlene's doing this playing defense, you know, actual defense in a league that's very difficult. And it's not a run and gun league. And he's still like the second highest scoring teenage defenseman of all time. Like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> like i mean of guys that were like 18 and 19 he's like second i think he's second in the nhl like all time and it's like hmm. all right well that that's pretty good it, it it's incredible to see him do that i mean you see like what guys like kale mccarr and quinn hughes are doing and, and like that's incredible and people like people are just like ah darlene yeah whatever and i'm like no not whatever like those guys are still older than darlene and they're having an incredible season what's darlene gonna do at their age with two years under his belt you know like yeah that going to work and i think i think the only answer to that is it's going to work out really friggin' well because the kid's awesome he's just an unbelievable defenseman and i think leaning into the good things that he he, he does and you know they're trying to improve certain parts of his game but man oh man it's i i remember it was such a fight for carlson because people got so mad that he didn't play classic defense like he wasn't going out lowering the boom on guys and, and just hammering guys in corners and it's doing that and it's like oh this guy plays like a forward it's like well yeah but his course he rates like 60 percent, and he scores tons of points what's the problem <laughs> i think Darlene's gonna be that sort of guy and i think that's it's gonna go a real long way for the sabers team to be good yeah, I mean, you can't drive that point home like strongly enough. Like Kale McCarr this season had this amazing rookie season. He was 21. He turned 21 in like October. Quinn Hughes was 20. So like, I'm sure next year for fantasy leagues, for one-year leagues, I'll bet you people will be looking to draft Hughes and McCarr ahead of Darlene just based on what they saw this past season. But yeah, it, it's not incomprehensible that Darlene takes this huge step forward like you say when he's actually not a teenager anymore uh it would obviously help if the Sabres can bring in some other good players like if Dylan Cousins turns out to be everything that you know we saw him being in the WHL that probably also helps Darlene to have some good players around him Kale McCarr and and Quinn Hughes had you know McKinnon and and Patterson Mm -hmm. so that that definitely helps though hey uh Darlene had Eichel (laughs) it's crazy to think that Darlene could be a sleeper in any sort of draft but yeah (laughs) 
like that's gonna happen. Like so, those guys will go hot. You know, once the defense run starts, and you start thinking like, oh, who else could I? Oh, right, Darlene's here. Okay. Yeah, I definitely think that's gonna happen. I think people are gonna be like, oh yeah, Darlene, because especially because <laughs> he missed some time with injury. So he, yeah, he would definitely be someone I would earmark as a good sleeper for next year. Obviously, in a you know keeper league, he should be kept. But for like a one year league, I think that people should be looking to try to steal him. Uh, okay, and then obviously I've already taken so, so much of your time, but I definitely want to ask you about the crease. You brought up how Carter Hutton started the season as the Sabres starter, and he was good for a little bit, but that quickly changed, and he was falling apart. But lucky for the Sabres, uh, Linus Allmark uh, took over as a starting goal. He was basically playing almost every game starting around mid-November, and he seemed to be up to the task. Right? He had a really good run in that stretch before he got injured, and overall on the season, Allmark ended with 34 games. His record was 17-14-3 and with a 9-15 save percentage, so above average by a decent amount and it really makes you wonder what could have been you know if he didn't miss that month with the ankle injury at the end of january like i'm curious if the saber season would have looked a little different if allmark could have kept going so do you think now come 2021 is Linus allmark officially going to be like going to the season the for sure starter or do you think he's still going to be battling with carter hutton in training camp to see who gets the game one start because to me it seems clear that Allmark is the person who should be the guy. And maybe he's one of these rare goalies in the league who might even be able to play, you know, high volume because he seemed to play almost every game for a stretch and was still doing well. But of course he got injured. So maybe that would be a counterpoint. I think, I, I think Linus is, if he's not the number one uh, next season, it's shock. Um, because that would probably mean they went out and made some kind of crazy move to, to add somebody who they, who they would value above him. But, uh, I did a breakdown of the, the goalie numbers just to kind of see like what what areas did things go go wrong because you can't have such a difference in in each guy's save percentage and just say like well there's got to be something more going on here and I, and I found out that at, at five on five uh, Allmark was had top ten save percentage I think he was a nine thirty goalie at five on five I mean that's it's really good uh, and even Hutton's numbers weren't too bad i mean they were you know it's basically middle of the pack so i mean you can live with that if that's your backup problem was is the team penalty kill was horrendous they were the second worst in the league they were mm-hmm. you know the only team worse than them was detroit and well that 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 makes a lot of sense so you know that they were a team that if the penalty kill wasn't horrible then they're probably doing a lot better in the standings they're they're <laughs> the penalty kill was just average they're maybe right in the conversation with with making it you know getting into the playoffs and that's really tough to see and too many games this year you know the answer after a loss was just like you know special teams you know if it wasn't the power play clicking it was the penalty kill failing and you know that that's the sort of thing that should you know should make every coach just, you know want to pull their hair out but you know i i think when it comes down to it though the goaltending i mean i, I think all mark you can lean on them and I don't think they really have to stress too hard on the goaltending itself. They just have to get the special teams figured out. And, you know, I think the, the, the area you have to be concerned is whether or not Hutton can be your backup. And if he's not able to, you know, if you don't believe that he can do it, then you have to try to look to find somebody else, whether it's within the organization with a guy like Jonas Johansson or you start peeking around on the free agent wire because you know, there's always going to be goalies available and there's always going to be a guy, but, um, but you still have Carter for another year at, you know, at, at a pretty, you know, not a big rate, but I mean, 
it's over, you know, it's over a million dollars. You, you still got to pay him money or you got to pay him to go somewhere else. But I mean, his numbers, who are you trading him to? You're not even going to get like a seventh round pick for that. And at that point, you just kind of, you, you either have to eat it and just continue on or, or, or get it figured out. Cause I think if you're trying to play Linus Allmark 65, 70 games a year, it's probably not going to help. Yeah. And like Carter Hutton is locked in for 2.75 million. That's like pretty much what Boston just spent on Yaroslav Halak. So obviously no one's going to be trading for Carter Hutton. Uh, so yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see. I know they also have this goalie in the system, Uko Pekka Lukanen. That's yes. supposed to be a, a hot prospect, but I, I'd imagine there's no way he's making it to the Sabres next year, right? Uh, no, I, I think they want to give him a full year in Rochester and to just carry the baton and see how he grows from there. He struggled in Roch this year, but I mean, it's his, again, first year playing in North in, in pro hockey, not North America. Cause he was in Sudbury where he was, he was up for CHL goalie of the year. He was a finalist for that and, and lost out to a Leafs prospect. I think it was Ian Scott. I think it was. And like, I think Ian Scott's team either won the Memorial cup or they were in the Memorial cup final or something like that. Um, but, uh, but Lucan and, <laughs> talking to the coaches at Sudbury, um, Lukanen was so good that he he made them all change their idea of what the position, what the goaltending position should be about. Sudbury's had like historical horrendous goaltending, and Lukanen broke team records just by what he did in a single season, like career records by what he did in a se- in, in one season. Oh wow, kid's really good, and he won gold for Finland at World Juniors. Like he's he's gonna be dynamite. Um, but it's just a matter of getting him figured out. I mean, he had double hip surgery last summer, so he was coming off of that. He was, you know, playing pro hockey, played great in Cincinnati in the ECHL. Um, he was outstanding down there. So, I mean, that, that's a league where, you know, it can be really tough to be a goalie in and he played great. So they're slow playing him. If he plays in Buffalo next season, it's because some things probably didn't go right, um, above him, right. um, because. They want him to play in Roch. They want to get him adjusted. But I think, you know, a, a full year of not, you know, not being injured, not coming off, you know, double hip surgery, and just a full year to work out. And he's he's a huge kid. He's gonna be really good. And it's just a matter of just taking your time with it. But you know, they've got him cooking. He's gonna be good to go in maybe another year. And then you know, further down the line, they've got uh, this kid Eric Portillo, who was the USHL goalie of the year in Dubuque. And he's going to Michigan next season. So, you know, it's going to be a ways away for him, but he's another giant Swedish goalie. So, I mean, Sabres organization loves giant Swedish goalies unless they're, it's, it's a giant Finnish goalie like Lukanen. <laughs> okay, well, so it sounds like, yeah, they're, they're set in net, hopefully, for a while. And, yeah, likely he's not in the NHL next year, but that's what we thought about Carter Hart a couple of years ago, and then every single Flyers goalie got injured. Next thing you know, Carter Hart finally got a shot. Uh, but it's a very interesting insight that you gave for Linus Allmark and how where he struggled, if you want to say that he struggled this year, was on the penalty kill, because we've always sort of looked at the penalty kill save percentage as one of those numbers that's more like variable and could change every year. It's like a small sample size. So if he's like potentially a top 10 goalie at even strength, and if he could just have an average season on the penalty kill, all of a sudden we could be looking at a really strong goaltender that was maybe hidden this past year because of that penalty kill. So this will be a very interesting story. And again, just like uh, Rasmus Stalin, I think that Linus Allmark is someone, I keep on calling him Linus because I think of Charlie Brown, 
I know it's, it's <laughs> Lena's. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like Allmark's a, another potential sleeper next year. Everyone will be reaching for some bigger name goalies, but maybe you wait and you grab Allmark. And so, yeah, speaking of these sleepers, the, uh, to, to end the interview, one question we've been asking each of the beat writers that have been so nice to come on is like, if you had to pick one saber that you think will be a sleeper for next year, someone who, uh, you know, people aren't expecting too much from or whatever they are expecting isn't what they're going to end up getting, who would your pick be for that? And then on the flip side, do you have a saber in mind that you think might be the biggest disappointment someone who people are high on and then aren't going to get what they're hoping for i think a a good sleeper and i don't even know how much of a sleeper it might be might be dominic cahoon um you know he he got a really i mean he was a deadline acquisition so i mean but you kind of know what he is but i think with kruger in charge kruger loves him you know, he's an international guy. He played in Germany. He's a, you know, he's a German kid. So Kruger immediately is just like adores him. So he, he knows what he's about. Uh, I think Cahoon's a guy who could really flourish uh, with Buffalo. So I would keep yeah. an eye on Very interesting. I see that he got four points in six games before the pause, really under the radar. But yeah, that's a very good name to keep in our minds. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, I mean he, was, he was good in Chicago. He was good in Pittsburgh. Um, it's weird that he's on his third team already. But I mean... You know, he's not really a kid you have to worry about. He's, he's got, like, veteran age. So, I mean, he knows how to play. Um, yeah. But I would keep an eye on him because, you know, again, if it's putting a lot of things into play, like if Dylan Cousins does become the guy, well, Kuhn's probably going to be on, his, on one of his wings. So that's a good thing. And, and that's, I think that's an area where that could really be a huge benefit. Um, for, a, you know, somebody who might disappoint, I think just from a point perspective uh i would i would say i would lean away from a guy like henry yoki haru um he they added he was fantastic this year don't like do not mistake this do not say i'm i'm dumping on him but there the expectations with with him were that he was going to be a big offensive type defenseman like from the right side and instead he's turned into like this fantastic just like perfect uh shot metric defensive defenseman and he doesn't get a ton of points but he's solid like if your league values like defensemen that are <laughs> that just get above 50 percent Corsi even on bad teams then mm-hmm. then yeah hey go for henry um but he's just he, he's not a guy that's going to get you the points that you're looking for um i know you're probably hoping i was going to say jeff skinner but Looking through Skinner's career, he's always been a guy that if he has a cool year, he comes back the next year with a big year. He just nice. sort of goes like on and off. So, um, if you want a guy to buy that might be a <laughs> might be another sleeper, Skinner might be it because you might be so down on him that he might fall down the board. But then, oops, he scores thirty, and then suddenly everybody's happy with that. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I I wouldn't have expected Skinner to be like a disappointment because he was all you know he's already his values rock bottom compared to what it's ever been so yeah he could only go up and yoki haru it is pretty wild that he had 71 points in 63 games as, as a defenseman in the whl and now like you say he's turning into more of a possession specialist but not necessarily someone who's getting points so good for him for finding a niche and hopefully he will help the sabers break out of this funk hopefully next season they'll start strong like they always do but also end strong i'd love to see this team finally get into the playoffs uh, so, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your expertise. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything in particular you'd like to plug or want people to check out? Uh, just check out anything that I'm writing on The Athletic. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, um, that's, that's the best way to do it. I've been, I've been more quiet on Twitter with everything quiet down because the heck do I have to 
to say on Twitter anymore. It's probably it's best to just lay low. But um, but we we had a we just did a big story on uh, Alexander McGillney being snu- being a snub for the Hall of Fame so far, and uh, myself and Thomas Drance and Corey Mazasak and James Myrtle all jumped in to uh, contribute to that, and really proud of uh, of being able to do to do a story like that about a, a player that I just absolutely adored. <laughs> growing up so it was really cool to write that and I, I got a feeling that hall of fame weight's not going to be too much longer for him uh, mcgillney man he's one of my favorites also because i used to play a ton of nhl 94 and he was one of the best <laughs> in that game one of the, 99 speed it was like him and pavel Bure and maybe a couple other guys cliff ronning too i think he was the yeah. other one who played 99 speed but because of the developers he was buddies with one of the developers so they were just like here just make me one of the fastest guys in the game which that that, that really helped out in that game holy cow that's so funny. Yeah, well, then it was good to play as the Canucks, and you had Ronning and Pavel Burry, then you have Trevor Linden as a solid guy at center. How did they not win the cup that year? I don't know. <laughs> Dang uh, that Richter, I tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks so much, Joe, uh, for coming on the show. Like I said, uh, I didn't find you to be a jerk at all. I, I found you to be quite delightful. <laughs> so you might have to change that Twitter bio at some point. Uh, but, yeah, thanks again. Have a great rest of your night. Yeah, thanks for having me, and it's, uh, it was a pleasure. And there you have it. Thanks again, Joe, for all of the time you gave us for this really fun interview. Gotta say right now, I'm really excited about this third season for Rasmus Dahlin. Will he have the Eric Carlson third season breakout? I feel like it could happen, but okay. Thanks again, Joe, and thanks again to you, the listeners, for tuning into these, I guess we're in the summer series of episodes of the Keeping Carlson podcast with this Beat Writer series. We hope that you've been liking them. I believe if my math is correct, this interview puts us at 9 down and 22 to go. And we're definitely going to try our best to get you one interview with someone smart from every single team in the league. Also, big thanks to the patrons of Keeping Carlson for giving us their support month in, month out for just $1 a month right now. We're giving everything we have to our patrons, access to the Facebook group, our monthly patron casts. We're doing crazy drafts. We're, we're doing whatever we can. And of course, if you're a patron and you're listening to this and you want something else, just let me know because we'll probably do it. But okay, yeah, if you want to get in on that, again, only $1 a month over the summer at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, how about let's cue the outro music, and I'm going to go ahead and read you the credit. So this episode was presented by Dabber Hockey and supported by our patrons. Logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. And this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey's Frozen Tools and maybe a little bit of Wikipedia and then mostly Joe Yurden and his years of experience covering the Buffalo Sabres. Thanks again so much for listening. We'll be back to you with another episode on Wednesday. We'll be talking about the New York Islanders. And until then, keep on keeping Carl song.